people told me I couldn't do a lot of things. I feel like I'm the chosen one. Look at this. We created this. This didn't exist before we were here. All we are is proud and passionate. I love Toronto. I love this team. And we're going to the Nothing matters but winning. Welcome back to episode 68 of Rapsville Weekly. I'm your co-host, Gabriel Chelio, here with my other co-host, Adam Casucci. And uh, today is going to be interesting. We got a, a week to cover pretty much. And if you guys have been following this week, you know, a lot has happened for the Raptors community. Uh, we played one of these first games Friday, February 26th against the Houston Rockets. And going into this matchup, we found out that our coach, we would be without six members of our coaching staff, one of them being Nick Nurse. Uh, leaving one of our only assistant coaches acting as head coach, Sergio Scariola. And uh, this is due to COVID-19. We didn't know, obviously, the league doesn't release specific information, but we knew that some people possibly could have been infected, one of the assistants, and everyone else was kind of contact tracing at the time. So we ended up playing that game. And then when it got to the game on Sunday, we were supposed to verse the Chicago Bulls. It ended up getting postponed due to not having the minimum amount of players uh, being eight. And that was a little concerning. Uh, obviously, that meant some players could have been affected uh, or possibly it was due to contact tracing as well. They didn't know who would have had it or who was in danger. Then Tuesday, we were supposed to verse the Detroit Pistons. That was also postponed, but it was just rescheduled to the next day on Wednesday. And we did actually end up playing that day. We were just once again without the six members of our coaching staff. And we were missing five players on our team. Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Patrick McCaw and Malachi Flynn and the same five players and six coaches were out in the next night against the Boston Celtics. So the only standalone the entire time was Pascal Siakam and the coaches were gone since the Houston game, but everyone else was a later development. Um, yeah. So obviously COVID-19, we've seen it go around the league a bit. Uh, some teams have had their stint with it. Miami heat obviously had their fair share of time. Other teams have had their games postponed as well. I know the Spurs missed a couple, uh, a bunch of teams in the league, really. So you can almost think of it as um, we were bound to get it. I know some of the people in the Raptors coaching staff that were remaining talked about this, right, Adam, that uh, other teams have dealt with it, now it's our turn. Yeah. So obviously uh, it ended up with two losses with most of our players gone. But how do you think this, like, uh, we handled this? Do you think that we had enough pieces left to, you know, win the past two games? Or how, how do you think we did? Well, for sure. I think uh, we did uh, let the Detroit Pistons game slip. I thought a bit, and uh, the Houston game, we uh, we did hold on, so uh, I'm proud of the boys for that one. But uh, yeah, I think we did have, have the pieces to win both games. Even in the Boston game, I thought we played good on both ends of the floor. Uh, I think we just we just let go of the gas pedal. Um, we let Tatum shake loose there a bit in the later stages of the game, and, uh, and we ended up losing that game. And uh, Boston didn't have any injuries as well, only to Marcus Smart, so they were pretty healthy. And uh, they had a lot of firepower, and uh, it really uh, came true in the end. And uh, but I thought I thought we do have the pieces. I mean, off the bench, it's a little uh, a little shaky with the scoring. Obviously, Chris Boucher uh, being held out of the starting starting role, which is a bit questionable. Uh, which I want to really talk about later. Uh, Sergio and Nick's decision to kind of keep him out of the lineup, and I wonder how that works with with Nick kind of calling Sergio and kind of discussing the plan, but does Sergio have like the end call, or what happens there? Yeah, so other teams obviously were affected by this, I think you know the Hornets as well, the Bulls, a bunch of teams had postponements, so we're not the first ones to deal with it, and playing underhand, and uh, the Wizards had a little bit of complaints about that, so some people obviously think that maybe this game shouldn't even have happened, and we're at a severe disadvantage losing three starters, but we did have enough 
players for the minimum requirements. We had enough role players that we're still supposed to be playing. So there's not much really we can say. We're going to have to just take them as losses. And yeah, the coaching situation is interesting. I know that they said a little bit that they worked off like on call during the game. Um, I guess in between the guys that are out, maybe Nick Nurse and the other coaching staff, noticing maybe what's right or going wrong during the game and they can help with the team after the game kind of dissect the play. Maybe that's what they're doing. But I'm curious, in-game, live action, I feel like it's probably just Sergio calling most of the shots, uh, making the final decisions, and like his remaining staff helping him out. But I, I don't know how much they can do in terms of live feed. I don't think like Nick Nurse and them can get as involved. I, I obviously don't know the specifics here, but they would be helpful, but I don't think that's the case. I feel like it's more Sergio calling the shots in the moment and obviously with the help of Kyle Lowry most likely, right? Yeah, there was a couple of disagreements that we saw with Kyle and, and Sergio with the small ball. The yeah, if you wanted to go really big in certain times of the game, and uh, we saw a lot of questionable timeouts by Sergio, yep. and I yep. think that's just a uh, that's just a sign of of not really. Uh, well, he has had experience, obviously, like we we've seen in his resume. Obviously, coaching coming back from Poland, uh, the Olympics, all, all types of kind of experience uh, that is under his belt. But uh, I do think that uh, that he wasn't kind of ready for the situation, but he was just kind of put in it, obviously, with the COVID situation. So I can't really blame him too much. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of questionable decisions, obviously, with the Utah Watanabe instead of Chris Boucher. That's kind of like a slap in the face almost to Chris, uh, be, uh, being what he's, what he's kind of done this season um, and how he's performed. And, uh, and Utah Watanabe kind of – he has played great as well. I thought Utah has played great uh, to, to deserve that. Honestly, but uh, I do feel that Chris Boucher should have got the nod there. Yeah, I agree as well. I just feel like, like you said, he kind of got thrown into this position um, spur of the moment, trying to make his own lineups and rotations. And there was disagreements with Kyle. Um, Naturally, you know, it's not his original head coach, but, you know, part of the time we we complain about Nurse as well when he doesn't call a timeout and it's been like an 8-0 run and and uh, we should call a timeout, and then we miss a shot, they get the ball back, and it could be a 10-0 run or something like that. So for the one of the plays where there's a disagreement, I think it was back-to-back three balls. Obviously, it's only two possessions. It's not three possessions, which is more usual a timeout, but it is six points, and six points is almost like three possessions. It it, it makes sense. It's not a horrible timeout, but clearly there's a sometimes there's got to be a chemistry between the coach and their and like the general of the floor, like Kyle Lowry, where they kind of know, I got this, let me take this one last play. If we miss it, then we'll get the timeout, but I think we'll make it. Like, There's a clear um, you know, d- disagreement between Kyle and Sergio at times, but that's just like lack of chemistry, I think. you know, They're not working together hand-in-hand, uh, game in and game out, like Kyle and Nick Nurse. Yeah, and I feel like moving forward, I think we really need these pieces back. Uh, we we kind of break into the core when we lose these guys. We're losing Freddie, a big scorer, a playmaker, uh, perimeter defenders. Then we're losing OG, uh, a great wing defender. So we're kind of we're losing a lot that we're already hurting, in which is defending, rebounding with OG, and then Siakam kind of makes it worse on top, losing two big men now, OG and Siakam, and uh, yeah, it just it's it's really hard. And uh, I think that we just need to keep on moving forward. I think the worst is is already done though. That's the positive thing. I think we gotta we gotta think about and uh, moving forward. I think it should just be a couple more games. Maybe they have to sit out after the break, hopefully, and we can get them all back. Yeah, so the thing is here, obviously, losing three starters is big no matter what. We obviously lost uh, McCaw and Flynn as well, but they're not getting the most amount of minutes, right? So that's not uh, too big of a worry. It's more a matter of the fact that we're just losing three starters. Like you said, 
uh, Fred, you know, one of our top scorers in this team, top perimeter defender. Uh, OJ Ananobi is largely known to take on the, the tougher matchups, and we would need him, you know, dramatically against when we versus like Boston, for example, taking on the star player. That's what makes uh, a big difference for us. And then Pascal Siakam, another losing another big man on this team. We're ready without size in terms of rebounding and scoring, and we know that that can be a problem for us. So losing him and OG and having to use a bench um, big men, and even though we lack them as well, it proves to be a huge problem for us. So that obviously, hopefully, uh, solved pretty quickly. And kind of luckily that we had this all-star break, so that takes out possibly two or three games that would have been during this week. Um, and none of our players are in the all-star game as well. So that does save us some time. And maybe we'll see possibly one to two more games, I think. Maybe three, because we have a back-to-back of some guys out. But I think that we'll get back to our regular lineup soon in terms of the quarantine stage. Yeah, I felt that we really covered COVID-19 there. And kind of looking forward to Masai's situation on kind of having his conservative approach uh, in, in this free agency period. Obviously, we we're seeing names like the Pistons buying out Blake Griffin, uh, which, which some people are saying we should get. I feel like we should talk about that as well. And uh, Andre Drummond, uh, a, lot of, a lot more suitors are coming in for him. I heard the Bulls are, are looking to to pick up on him, maybe yep. dealing a couple youngsters there. And, uh, yeah, there's so many pieces that, that, that could be moved. And Masai's got to understand that we just don't have it with the team we have now. As much as we, we move the pieces around and we switch things, we can try so many different things. I just feel we don't have enough skill and, and, and just and just good players, to be honest. It's just it doesn't work. It's not going to work value. In, the, in the future. And uh, and I think that we really got to understand that we got to make a move here. It's it's time, and uh, we're seeing it with the win-loss record. I, I, if we were winning games, I know the season could have been different if we won a couple close ones at the beginning of the season. But right now, we got to make a move. It's time. Yeah, so Thursday, March 4th, we heard a lot of big moves. Um, rumors coming about, you know, uh, Grant, top target for the Celtics came out. Yeah. Timberwolves interested in John Collins, Aaron Gordon. Like you said, we had Drummond with the Bulls. Even Chetty Osman could be moved. Uh, Vucevic interested by the Hornets and Celtics. Uh, We're hearing that a lot of teams in the East, Celtics, Heat specifically, have their names tied to a bunch of different players in the league, possibly looking for that last piece. Because we know that the Heat and the Celtics have strong teams. Whenever we verse the Heat, we see that. And the Celtics as well seem to have our number this year, especially, you know, COVID made it worse for us. But... Um, they obviously both have a lot of pieces, and they might be looking for that one more all-star piece to get them where they need to be. So they're looking to make the moves, and sadly, I'm not seeing our name in anything anymore. It was Drummond at the start, but then other teams have been interested, and I haven't heard from us since, and we're not looking at all these other pieces. And the thing is that we have about maybe we – we obviously have valuable players, but players that we could dish are, are, are different than what's valuable. Like for me – Kyle Lowry has the 30 mil contract. If you're making a move for a huge star, that's one of the only players that makes it work numbers wise. And obviously it's hard to let go of a, a franchise legend as, as like him. So making a move like that happen is already far fetched for the most part, especially if it's for, um, you know, young pieces and picks, just like something to get him out. I don't see that any value in that at all. The other options are like Norm and Boucher have like a little bit higher contracts about like 10 mil and they're both playing great. So they have value as well, but then you don't want to give up them because of, you know, they're, they're the ones playing good this season. No. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's kind of the Kyle Lowry situation. I think Masai's kind of holding his back foot here 
on, on this Lowry uh, trade rumors. I think he feels already uh, the Toronto community hurts with the DeMar DeRozan kind of Kawhi trade. And I feel like if he lets let's go another Toronto legend, that he will face a lot of backlash. And I really think that is the problem. I think he's really hesitant on this one. And he really wants, if he's going to do it, there has to be a really high-value trade um, in the Raptors' favor. Or else I think Kyle Lowry is staying because I feel like his family has settled in. Uh, he's expressed his love for the city. And uh, I feel like Masai has been really careful with Kyle Lowry here. Uh, of course he is, but we also can't forget it recently came out that his house is finally sold for $5 million in Toronto, and that's usually not a good sign unless maybe he's getting a new house or, I don't know, maybe he's wary of what is going to happen in this free agency. Also, plus he's in Tampa. He doesn't know how long he's going to have to stay there. So um, th- that being sold is something. Like you said, um, he's got to be careful because, obviously, he is an icon. People are going to get mad if he... He leaves. All the diehard fans obviously won't like that. And we saw what happened when DeMar left. It was a big uproar, even though we did win and it was a great move from Basai. A risky move, but a great move. It paid off. But the city obviously still loves DeMar. And Drake shouted that out himself in his, one of his new songs, Lemon Pepper Freestyle. One of his lines in the song is, my city loved me like DeMar DeRozan. So clearly, uh, everyone knows how much DeMar is still loved here. And that's always been a talk as well. Is DeMar ever going to come back, right? Yeah, uh, I really kind of see a future here for DeMar DeRozan, uh, if we can pick him up in free agency. I know our cap space right now isn't looking the best, obviously, with signing uh, Pascal to the max, OG, Freddie. So we're not looking good in cap space. But I think if we can open up some space with uh, with Kyle leaving, but I think they will want to play together. That's the thing, Gabe. I really feel like they would want to play together, Kyle and DeMar, and kind of have like a, a reuniting period. Uh, back in the back in the Raptors, uh, being them with uh, being older in age, I feel like that would be kind of a, a reunion party. There's one thing that I read recently, and this is like devious. This is like a mastermind scheme. But I I read something that because this is Kyle's like last year on his contract, what if the Raptors traded him somewhere like Philly for like those young pick those young pieces and picks like trade like Matisse Thybulle. Uh, Maxi and like three first rounders. So like originally, I think you lose the trade, but you got some young pieces and picks. But then in free agency, you re-pick up Kyle and this time on like a lesser contract. And then then you because we have cap space next year because he will be gone. Yeah. So you pick him up for cheaper and also have gotten all that value from Philly in the trade. And Philly ends up getting nothing in the end. I read something about that. I don't think that would ever happen. No way. But that's devious. That is like a mastermind move. Yeah, I don't think that would fall through. First of all, I think Kyle would be disappointed in the franchise, kind of like DeMar. What uh, if he was bring... aware, though? What if he was aware of it? Even if he was aware, uh, I, I feel like he would just he wouldn't be happy with it. I feel like Kyle's like a, a loyal guy, and and kind of having that happen to him, I don't think he'll appreciate it much. And uh, yeah, there's no way that's happening in my opinion. <laughs> I read it. I read it somewhere. You know. I've never heard of it happening, but it seems like a smart move. Like if you were doing this out of like NBA 2K My League, like that's what the trade you'd make. Get your star player back for a cheaper value. Honestly, that'd be that. That's interesting. I haven't heard of that before, and I'm like, you know, theoretically it's possible, but I don't think so. Okay, moving on. A little bit of Norman Powell. I kind of wanted to bring up him and uh, and what we see him in his future. Uh, he was kind of dangling in uh, in some trade rumors, obviously for Drummond, obviously for for other pieces, but. I think now we can kind of just say that Norman Powell has a spot on this team, and never mind the spot, but I think he's he's the growing the growing all-star that should have been put in the all-star game right now. 
Yeah, past couple of games, he's been obviously incredible. Past, like, you know, 20 games as a starter, he's pretty much been very consistent, one of our top scorers. Um, and just, yeah, that's been his main job, scoring threat. But it's been very useful, obviously, especially now with the COVID stuff. He's been, what, 30-plus a night both nights. Um, like, he's the go-to option. So uh, we, we could definitely use him in the future. He seems to be growing as one of the top scorers in this team. And if that's the route we're going with a young squad, you know, let, let's say eventually when Kyle retires or, or moves on from this team, if he does get traded, you can look to Norman as one of the other scoring options now in the guard position. Him and Fred could be the top scorers. And then you all obviously have the other pieces around them for the future. So we could obviously build around, I think, having Norm stay here for a while with the other young pieces, obviously an OG, Fred, and, and, and Pascal, I guess. So, um, yeah, he's been great. I think, honestly, a, a trade to be done is going to be hard in terms of contracts and who we'd want to give up. I don't know really what the best move is anymore in terms of for Drummond and stuff because Norm is growing on us a lot. He's just been absolutely incredible. And in terms of contracts, it doesn't seem to work out unless Kyle Lowry's involved. And for him, you know, I'd like to see a fantastic move. If that, if he's getting traded, it's got to be something incredible coming from the other end, right? Yeah, and, and another issue is when when Powell's contract does run out, he's only making, what, $9, 10000000 million right now? When it does run out, since we already signed Pascal, OG, Fred, and if we do keep Kyle, even to a little bit, uh, a little bit of a, a lesser contract, obviously not 30 mil, but maybe, maybe 20 or around whatever. But if, if we do kind of keep moving forward, we're going to have to sign Powell. And then he's going to want obviously more money because of the performances he's been putting up and, uh, and his tenure here with the team. And he's not an old player and, uh, he's still in his prime. So, what are we going to do there? Like, that's another situation that Masai has to kind of think about and really look forward to. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I think he has a player option this year, if I recall correctly. Um, so, like, that's a, that's another one year maybe to buy us. But when when players play great and they've stepped up, they know they're of more value. So either they ask for a bigger contract or they're going to ask to be moved or they're going to go somewhere else where they can get a bigger contract because they feel they deserve it. So the problem is with having – uh, a solid core of young guys and then having another emerging player take the next step, Norm taking that next step, is that's yeah. another addition to the contract and it makes it hard for us to pick up uh, a final piece to get us in contention for like an all-star. That's why teams that have good chances of moving are, are young teams that have a lot of young pieces that are all worth cheap and they can trade for a, a much bigger all-star that has the hefty contract. So that seems to be a possible issue for us in the future. No, yep, it is. And uh, also Blake Griffin... Do you feel that we need him? I don't think so. I think he's an injury-prone player. I think uh, even though it might cover some of our rebounding issues uh, when he is healthy, having his big, strong uh, physique, uh, obviously uh, being very physical in the paint, and uh, I think he can grab a lot of rebounds with us, even playing at the five, to be honest. But I think uh, injury-prone will, will hurt him still. And I think everyone thinks of him as that LA Clippers kind of Blake Griffin kind of that, that, that dunk guy, and he's just, he kind of, he fell. He really fell, and his value has really dropped, and uh, I feel uh, that he's not, not worth the pick up here for Toronto. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. You know, same thing with the Cousins situation. People see the name, they think of his all-star performances in years past, but he's taken a, a downturn like, the, like Cousins, same thing, and the injury-prone also Cousins has a similar problem. Uh, it's been like year after year after year. The guy can't play a full season. He's just a huge Band-Aid, and um, he's been bounced around a little bit now. And obviously, when when te- teams don't want you, when you have a 
Obviously, he's also very expensive. He's like $36 million this year. Next year, $39 million player option. When you have players that are worth that much money, if, they, if, you, if they're on their bench, you're not even playing them. Same thing with Drummond. Clearly, there's a problem. There's a reason people don't want them. Sometimes, it's obviously doesn't fit the system. But like the Pistons, they're like desperate. They need something going for them. Drummond, it could just be doesn't fit into place. But, but Griffin is just injury prone, not playing as good as he once was. There's just a lot of things going on there that it, it seems to be a reason people don't want him. So I feel like having him come in, it, it just doesn't seem useful, especially if it's for a, a decent-sized contract. He doesn't seem to be worth the money. It depends how minimum the contract is, but I have a feeling we're not going to see the guy play often. And now the Nets are looking to – are the leaders for to picking up him, and that makes sense. They're in need of a big man, so maybe they take the chance because, uh, you know, what do they have to lose if he's a minimum contract? They already have a strong team. This can make them possibly stronger. So I guess that's what their plan is. I just don't see the value in him coming to us. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then what makes me kind of pissed off is when you see the suitors of Blake Griffin right now, I heard it was the Nets, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Yeah, when you look right. at their salaries, it's it, it's full. It's already full. The yep. luxury tax, I'm sure they're going to have to pay a lot already. And uh, and I don't understand how they can afford a player like him. Like, I don't understand. Maybe they're going to – Blake Griffin obviously has to take the pay cut for sure because there's no way they're taking that, that contract that he has. And uh, I feel like it's it's cheating in the NBA system, and I really don't like that. I don't like the pay cut uh, just to be on a contending team to win a ring. I feel that it's a, it's a cheap way, and I think that, that teams who actually need him or, or, or should have him and to kind of re- revive his career – uh, should go for him and have the chance instead of a a, a big team like the the Nets or the Lakers. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to quickly just run through some all-star stuff here. So the dunk contest, there's apparently three participants, if I'm correct. Obi Toppin from the Knicks, uh, Simons from the Trailblazers, and Cassius Stanley, rookie from the Pacers here. So we got two rookies, Toppin and uh, Stanley. Simons, I, I didn't even know he could dunk, honestly. <laughs> I always see the guy just shooting yeah. threes for Portland. He's a great shooter. I've seen him hit some clutch shots for them as well. Like, he seems to be just a guy that shoots a lot of threes. I, I haven't watched him a lot, so I obviously don't know. I know that Obi Toppin is a, is a fantastic dunker, and I've seen a bit of highlights from Cassius Stanley. That guy's got hops. I've seen him do some crazy dunks for Duke. So do you have any idea who's going to win this one? What's your What do you think? Um, I think the obvious one and the most hyped-up answer is obviously going to be Obi Toppin. I, th- I know the New York Knicks fans are really going to kind of hype him up and kind of going to put him uh, at the top spot. Uh, but I, but I am gonna go with uh, Cassius Stanley. I feel like yeah, he's gonna come, go. he's gonna come, he's gonna come out of the gates uh, with some, with some uh, like unknown dunks. I really feel like he's gonna get creative with it, and I feel like he has nothing to lose. Obviously, being, uh, being under Obi Toppin. Yeah, definitely not as much hype surrounding him in the league, and also he's six five, and he broke reportedly broke Zion Williamson's school record for max vertical jump at Duke, hit forty four inches at the draft combine. Uh, he's got bunnies, man. I've seen some highlights. He does some crazy stuff. Uh, and obviously for his height as well, Obi Toppin being, I believe, 6'9". So uh, I think that he's going to really show off, and I can't wait to watch him. Um, Three-point contest, honestly, uh, by, just by looking at it, I feel like it's probably going to be Steph. Uh, D-Book is getting replaced with uh, Mike Conley because of injury. So I'm just going to go with Steph as my tentative uh, prediction. You? Yeah, you you have to go Steph, just like the consistency that that guy's put up. Uh, but I also think that Steph is a very good shooter, obviously, when it comes to not just not just receiving and shooting the ball, obviously just shooting off dribble, which a lot of players can't do. 
And in the in the three-point competition, it's really just, just shooting the ball straight. So I think even a guy like Devin Booker, a catch-and-shoot guy, can really kind of strive in this. Even even Jalen Brown, I feel like a lot of guys who, who just get really hot on the night and in that moment can really win the competition. It's kind of a toss-up for me. Yeah, but D-Book's going to be replaced by Conley for the event. So I guess That's Jalen even, Brown will be replaced. That's another issue that I, that, that I just don't feel is right. I feel Mike Conley should not, should not have been an all-star. I know the Jazz are, are doing great. Uh, it's kind of a fake star. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. I know, I know Booker's injured and you have to have, uh, another guy in there. But it just doesn't make sense. You got a lot of guys like DeMar DeRozan did yeah. make the All-Star team. And that's a snub. That, that really is a snub. And he's had better numbers. He just hasn't had the supporting cast around him. And I feel like that's, that's a kind of another slap in the face to DeMar DeRozan. Poor guy. Yeah, we need to get on to the games quickly, but I'm gonna, last one, Team LeBron or Team Durant. I, I'm assuming you've looked at them already. For me, I think LeBron has a, a nice starting lineup. Uh, I think LeBron's just going to take this one. I feel like he makes solid teams every time he picks. I feel like he's just going to be a gem in the future. So I'm just going to go Team LeBron's one in this. Yeah, I feel like Team LeBron, you can't go wrong with the go. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to run through the, the games pretty quickly here. Um, the first game, Toronto Raptors versus the Houston Rockets, the one that happened on Friday. Uh, no Pascal Siakam, Scariolo's first game as a head coach. This game, Kyle Lowry had a nice triple-double in the night. He had 20 points, 11 boards, 10 assists, 6-for-9 shooting. And Norman Powell put up his 30-point night, like we've been saying. 30 points, 3 boards, an assist, 10-for-15 shooting. And Fred Vliet as well, 25 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. But he shot 6-for-23 this night. Not well at all, um, but he did get 3 steals and made perfect from the free throw 8-for-8. Eight eight. It was all of his buckets made, most of them were all three-pointers. Um, so he was having a really tough time taking a lot of bad shots this game, I noticed. But overall, did put up enough numbers for us to take it. Him, Kyle, and Powell put up all the strong numbers tonight in order to get us the win. OG contributed 11 points and Bembry 13 off the bench. Um, the Rockets pretty much, Oladipo had 27, shot 9 for 21. And John Wall had 21 points, 12 boards, also shooting 9 for 21. Uh, them and Gordon with 17 points. Besides those three, uh, we pretty much just dominated this game. Um, it, it was kind of, the first quarter was close. They won it 31-30, but then after that, we just took a lead in the second and just took this one home. Uh, nothing much to say about this game. Just a solid performance from our team with, uh, Scariolo as our head coach first time, got his dub, and Kyle gave him the game ball. So shout out to him for that. It was just a, a solid performance from us. The Rockets have been on a horrible bend. So going into this one, I, I was confident in our team's ability to take this, even without, even with missing Pascal and Nick Nurse and the coaching staff, right? Yeah, I, I felt like we did okay this game. Uh, I thought the first three quarters were great. I thought the fourth quarter, that start, there was a period, I think, between the 12-minute mark and the 6-minute mark, uh, where, where we just we couldn't score, and the Rockets kind of made a little bit of a comeback and kind of made it pressurized at the end. Uh, but we did hold on. I feel like the Rockets, their shot selection is one of the worst in the league. And, uh, and yeah, I thought we, we held on perfectly and our, our players came up clutch in the end. So now is when the, the, the turn happens here, the Detroit game and the Boston game. Now we're missing three of our starters, two of our bench players. And, uh, now it showed. Detroit Pistons, obviously they were the second worst team in the league, um, 29th overall. And going into this one, although we were down, 
I was still confident our ability to win with the players we had because they are one of the worst, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. And also for the fact that they had many people out. Obviously, Griffin has been sidelined because now he got waived, so they were just holding on to him. But DeLon didn't play. DeLon Wright, he was injured. Grant didn't play, also injured. And uh, Jackson, illness, uh, Killian Hayes, injured. They were missing all of their strong players. All they had was Plumlee, um, Dennis Jr., who they recently traded for. They had uh, Wayne Ellington. Uh, Sadiq Bey, who's been playing decent, all of these players that are obviously not known, not not that known in the league, um, but we played horrible. Simple as that. Um, in terms of scoring, we had basically four, I would say, main scores um, for most of the game, and then the rest of the team did not contribute pretty much at all. Norman Powell at 36 points, five rebounds, 14 for 20 shooting. He was making absolutely everything when we needed him to. He carried us. He was clutch. Um, from the beginning, he was very hot, making bucket after bucket after bucket. Um, Kyle Lowry was also playing well, 21 points, four boards, six assists, five for 11 shooting. They were leading it and they were taking, uh, you know, at the start at least, as many shots as they wanted. They were really like, we gotta, we really gotta step up and we gotta pretty much shoot everything here because we're the best two players in the team right now. Baines also contributed throughout the game. He had 13 points, four for seven shooting by the end of the night four boards. He, he did decent. He tried his best to contribute on the scoring end. And then Boucher off the bench, who at first did not get many minutes at all, even though he produced a lot of points in the minutes he got. And then he got a lot more minutes near the end of the game. He ended up with 18 points, eight boards, five for 11 shooting, two blocks and a steal. Um, those are the four scores. Everyone else pretty much absolutely struggled to shoot the ball. The rest of our team shot six for 28. Um, and most of those buckets are coming from Matt Thomas near the very end of the game. He had 11 points, four for seven shooting. But for the most part, it was like, for, for most of the game, I should say, it was like two for, for 24 shots. Two out of 24 shots was our team. You know, Watanabe started 0 for 3. He couldn't hit anything, and he only played 10 minutes, was pulled off afterwards. TD was missing everything. He shot two for 11, had six points, making a bunch of mistakes, three turnovers on the night. Uh, uh, Watson 0 for 3. Stanley Johnson 0 for 3, wasn't making his corner shots. There was no contribution from our bench, and Detroit apparently is one of the best benches in the league, and it showed because they dominated us, right, Adam? Yeah, I really feel like when you see a game like this and you're kind of a rotation player, you really got to seize the opportunity, and Scott Scariola was really talking about it before the game, thinking that his players would really come into it very hyped or very energetic. The guys coming into the starting lineup are going to, Davis, Watanabe, are really going to play with a lot of demeanor, a lot of aggressive Aggressive play, uh, be on the attack, but it just, it didn't really show tonight. Uh, guys like Paul Watson didn't really perform, they didn't really take their chance when given to them. And also, uh, we've seen the emergence of Baines that I wanted to talk about, that he's, his inside game has improved. Um, he still has those funky plays where, uh, Gabe, I know you want to mention the oh. one where, where, he, where he throws it up and it, I don't know if it gets blocked. I don't know what that is. It's like, uh, he throws it up and it's like a travel. I, I don't know what it is. He tries to shoot it. But it like it flips out of his hands like weirdly and it comes back into his hand. I just don't understand what that is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just I feel like he's he's been playing great even on the defensive end. Uh, he's been the one guy uh, kind of keeping it solid on the inside for us as well as Boucher. And Boucher, this was the game I was talking about before with the slap in the face. I thought he should have got the starting lineup and he he played uh, very well tonight on efficient sh- on efficient shooting. So yeah, yeah. The problem is reversing all these you know supposedly bummy teams. They end up just having insane shooting nights. Like at the start of the game, like Detroit was like 70% shooting at one point. They were making every three. 
Uh, Wayne Ellington, I think he tied for his most threes. He had eight for 11 shooting all three pointers, 25 points in the night. He pretty much ate every shot, whether he was open or contested. Mind you, our, our perimeter D wasn't that good. He did have his fair share of open looks, but even contested shots, it felt like they were just making everything. Spy was an, another guy. He had 17 points in the night, six for 11 shooting, five three balls. Um, Dennis Smith played decent. He had a triple double. Plumley, a triple double. Um, uh, Magruder off the bench, 20 points, four threes. Lee, 20 points off the bench, seven assists. Uh, their bench was fantastic and they just felt like they were making so many shots. They were making all those open threes where we're like, oh, please don't go in. Oh, it's partially contested. They would just all go in. And for us, it was whenever the ball was not in Kyle or Norm's hands or, or maybe Boucher as well, you were like, please go in, please go in. And it didn't yeah. go in ever. That's just how the game went. So we, we weren't making shots if it wasn't our star players and they were making every shot. And it was simple as that. We just were completely out of it. This, um, you know, disgusting loss, to be honest. Very embarrassing that we were able to lose to this team like that. Obviously missing the start, our, our star, three of our star players, you know, starters with COVID, but I, we did not deserve to lose like this. This was our game to take because we knew Boston was going to be the way tougher opponent. And it actually ended up being we were close to that game, which yeah. is weird. Yeah, and Gabe, I really wanted to ask your opinion on Matt Thomas's defense because when you look at the box score, you can say, oh, he's got 11 yeah. points in 22 yeah. minutes, four out of seven shooting, but his defense was atrocious. Every every guy was getting past him. He was he was uh, he wasn't contesting threes. He was late in rotations. Like what was going on there? Yeah, uh, he is just a, a huge liability on defense. Obviously, he played a little bit during the game, and whenever he was on, he just was completely letting the other team score buckets, and it led to huge swings and our possible momentum of cutting it down. And Scariola played him a lot of minutes near the end, especially. I wonder if it's to you know, he's a three-point shooter. Maybe if you get lucky, he hits some threes, um, cut down that huge lead, maybe a bench spark, something. But he was just being a huge liability on the floor in terms of letting guys blow by him, not marking his man, not closing out fast enough, um, looking a little bit out of it on rotations. Uh, it was just it led to a lot of points for the other team and a huge swing, and it's frustrating to watch. I know we were on the phone together. Yeah. You heard my dad. He was absolutely livid with Thomas's defense. He wanted him out of the of the start of the lineup at the time. Um, yeah. It's just not much you can do when a player is not playing solid defense. It, it led to a huge swing. And, and clearly that's been one of his flaws. That's what nurse saw in him. And Scariola, you know, tried seeing how he would do, tried giving him his chances. And it resulted in the same thing that we've been ex- seeing so far. Yeah. Before we get on to our next game, I just wanted to mention that when we look at our bench and you look at the, like the personnel we have, I feel like we got, we, we got a lot of good players on our bench. I'm not going to say that we don't have a lot of good players, overall players on the bench. I feel like this bench can be good. I just feel like some guys have to, to step up in their scoring roles. I know Chris Boucher is the go-to guy for scoring off the bench, but guys like Davis has, has to really uh, increase his role in scoring. Uh, Bembry, we know he's a playmaker and he's not really uh, looking to score the ball too much and uh and guys like Watson like we really got to see an improvement in scoring even Stanley Johnson we got to see this because there's not a lot of scoring coming off the bench and it's going to hurt us in the future if we don't yeah they just have to be more confident in their abilities and more aggressive like TD he does too much because he gets the ball he starts going on an ISO doing these fancy moves and then just chucks up bombs but Mm. if you stick to what you're good at Boucher has found a way to you know, expand his game and do a lot of things. Screen and roll actions, threes. So if you're running with Boucher on the bench, having him in the action with a screenplay is going to create something for you right away. Matt Thomas has to do a better job of getting open. 
Um, he just wraps around, kids, comes around screens up, but he's never open and never takes his shots. Um, mm-hmm. Bembry, I like when he drives more. Obviously, he, his three ball has been, you know, pretty decent from what we saw. You know, it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. But when he gets the ball, if he looks to attack more and some screen and roll actions, he's a fantastic passer. We've seen some great passes from him, you know, behind the back, handoffs, everything. He's He's been really flashy, too. If he gets more actions driving full speed around the basket, he has crafty layup abilities, but he also is a great passer. So he can maybe work on a driving kick and make that more um, known to his game so people respect that and they start to double on his drive attempts and maybe this opens up more options on the floor and then Stanley Johnson being consistent with that three ball, more aggressive with it. Um, yeah, if they're more aggressive in what they do and they do all the things like that they're somewhat good at, they're going to get their chances. They just have to make sure they make the right plays because if they do what they're good at, but then they realize it doesn't work, like Stanley Johnson drove hard, which he can do. He's a big body. It's great. But then he should realize there's two guys on me. I, I should look to kick. If he looks to kick, there's a guy wide open on three. It happened in one of the games. I can't remember which one. I think it was Detroit. Or no, it was a Celtics game. I think Williams blocked him. But if you look to do that, there's options you can create there. Um, now I'm going to move on to the, the Celtics game quickly. So this game we lost as well, 132-125, so much closer than last game. And we were neck and neck for most of the game. We were actually up for the first quarter. Uh, at halftime we were up, and I was really impressed. I'm like, how are we doing this? It mostly was because Brown and Tatum were cold to start. We were playing you know, uh, good offensively for the most part. Kyle wasn't shooting good at all, um, but Boston... They had most of their team doing decent, but nothing crazy. You know, last time we versed them, it was Ojale and Pritchard making everything. They were unguardable. Um, and Tatum and Brown, everyone was doing great. Now everyone was kind of average how we expect them to be. And Brown and Tatum were a little cold. So we had them for the most part. And then the third quarter was a huge swing. We lost it 35-22. to 22. And then the fourth quarter as well, they just held on. And Brown and Tatum woke up. Tatum caught fire and started becoming, you know, that clutch instinct that he always has. Tatum ended with 27 points, uh, 12 boards, 5 assists, 9 for 15 shooting, 2 steals. Brown, 21, 7, and 4. They ended up both with the most points, even though having the coldest starts. Uh, Walker, 15 points, 6 assists in the night. Tristan, 13 points to start. And their bench unit, all pretty much uh, double digits for the most part. Pritchard, 10. Williams, 10. Teague, 14. Grant Williams, 17. Um, they all prayed pretty solidly, to be honest. Their bench caused some problems for us. Um, trying to stay in it. We know our bench was a problem last game, but this game a little bit better. We had TD had a real explosion off the bench, uh, putting up 22 points for uh, assists, 8 for 14 shooting. He played great. He was aggressive. He was making his buckets a lot different from the last game. Um, Paul Watson, 12 minutes hit a 3, so at least he did some type of contribution. Um, Boucher was the big story of the night. Off the bench, 30 points, 5 boards, 11 for 15 shooting. Um, obviously incredible game from him, incredible. The star player tonight, he was really aggressive. He made a bunch of shots, really helped the bench scoring load, keeping this game close for us. Uh, him and TD did wonders, and then starting Powell did pretty decent, 25 points, 4 assists, 7 for 17 shooting, 2 steals. He started great. He had 21 in the first half, looked the exact same as the Detroit game, but then second half he fell off a little bit, missed a couple shots, wasn't as aggressive, probably really gassed because of the night before, and Kyle is the same thing. Kyle, he had a franchise tying uh, 19 assists in a game, 14 points, so obviously sensational in that sense, but his shooting was uh, atrocious. It was 5 for 18, 3 for 11 from 3. He wasn't making anything. Um, Fourth quarter as well, missed a free throw in the clutch, um, missed a couple big threes we could have used to possibly cut the game to a three-point lead. 
And yeah, that, that was one of the difference makers tonight. But obviously him and Powell together, they played a bunch of minutes, both games, probably extremely gassed. So there's, it's understandable. But I'm surprised this game was as close as it was because it was so far, uh, in the Pistons game, we lost by like, what, 25? So to say that this one was a seven point game was impressive. It was a good fight. I really wish we came out of it, but there's not much you can do, right? Yeah, Gabe, you hit all the, the points on the head there. But, uh, the, the field goals, Boston shot 61%. And 45% from three. And when a team's doing that, and, and they got, they got 40 free throw attempts, that the defense was atrocious, and, uh, they got 54 points in the paint as well. So they were really going at Aaron Baines. Obviously, they had Tice, they had, uh, Williams, they had Thompson. They have a lot of, uh, undersized bigs that are very athletic, and can, uh, and can work the rim, and kind of get under there. And, uh, yeah, and Baines was having trouble with that, uh, kind of on the solo island there. So, uh, that's what happened. You got to applaud Brad Stevens. Obviously, he did what he had to do. He knew that our team was tired coming off a back-to-back. We wasted a lot of energy that game. Our two-star players obviously had to outwork themselves. So it was clear this game, just take it strong to the basket, get these guys working, get them in foul trouble, get them tired. And then the late emergence of Tatum on that on that couple of runs there, that tough three-pointer, um, it sent a swing in the momentum. And this game, Powell and Boucher, they both fouled out. So you see that they were aggressive getting to the line and they were just getting us bruised up, and it worked in their favor because long-term we weren't able to hold it out. All right, that's pretty much it. We hope you all enjoyed. As always, please like and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at Rapsville for NBA news, Raptors content. Leave your comments down below on your opinions on these pieces. As always, that's us signing out. Peace. Peace.